Hello and welcome to an all new episode of The Spotlight. I am your host Kente, all the way live from Los Angeles, California, and I'm so happy to be here. I am here with my two wonderful co-hosts. I'm going to start off with the one and only Jen. How are you doing, Jen? Hey, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking. And I'm here with also the man, the militant one, Yardley. How are you doing? Hey, I'm doing great, man. Bringing in 2018 with a bang. 2018 is here. And I'm a, you know, I, as I said earlier, that uh, I was in Chicago for a month, froze my butt off, and got really sick. And it seems like everybody's getting sick. I know, Jen, you 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 were under the weather, um, you know, um, and so many people I know was under the weather. And this thing, this bug is is a trip. But uh, so everybody out there, including my cousin Sarah, I hope you get better. Um, you know, everybody get better, man. You got to really, uh, you know, do what you got to do to make sure you don't get that bug. It's terrible. But I am glad that you guys are here and you guys are doing fine. And um, there's so much that I wanted to talk about. Um, but before we go into 2018, because we're going to talk about the movies that came out in 2018. Uh, that are coming out in 2018. I wanted to wrap up 2017 by talking about Star Wars: The Last Jedi. Uh, it came out in December, I believe it was December like 15th or something like that. And I was uh, fortunate to see it on the day it came out on that Thursday. And uh, I, you know, I had mixed rev- mixed reviews about it. I, initially, I saw it and I, you know, I was entertained by it. And and then when I saw it a second time, I wasn't as in love with it. And um, the movie's doing very well, but some people are calling it a flop, which I think that's a stretch. <laughs> when a movie makes, what, a billion point three, you know, I mean, how's that a flop? You know what I mean? Like, it, it's, it's doing per- very well. I mean, I don't think you could expect it to do as well as The Force Awakens. And um, because The Force Awakens, it just, everything came together for that film to be as big as it was so i mean did they really think they were going to match it i mean i think the i think they expected to do it better than rogue one and rogue one did very well and i think it's gonna either match it or barely miss the mark i haven't looked at the numbers in a while but um as our resident star wars expert uh before we get into some of the backlash that came out with that film um as a Star Wars film, now that we're you know we're two films into the trilogy, um, I want you to first tell me, Yardley, what did you th- what do you think of the Last Jedi? And now that we're two uh, films into the tri- the new trilogy, what do you think about the direction it's going? And are you pleased with it? Well, I think the Last Jedi has already crossed. A billion. It's made more than Rogue One. Now it's definitely tracking less than The Force Awakens. Now, as you had mentioned, all the stars had lined up for The Force Awakens. So, I, you know, I think that any expectations that it was going to do better, uh, you know, I think that that's you know kind of a reach. The second installment usually never surpasses the first one. Uh, you know, overall, I, I probably have this one listed as my sixth favorite yeah. uh yeah i've got um uh empire then a new hope return of the sith 
um, The Force Awakens, Rogue One, then The Last Jedi. And then after that is Return of the Jedi, of course, Clone Wars, and The Phantom Menace. Uh, I, like you and Jen, have probably read, you know, tons of comments of the different reasons why people don't like it. I'm sure we're going to get into it. But, yeah, I, I thought that this is one of those movies that since it's been out, there's been a lot of explaining, <laughs> you know, by Ryan Johnson and a lot of people associated with the film. And I, like you, some of the explanations kind of delve into the material that the overwhelming majority of Star Wars fans uh, or people who actually go to see the movies, most people don't read the expanded material like the books and things like that. That's a pretty small percentage of all of the people who at least spend their money on going to the movies. And for me, and we've talked about this many times before, uh, Kente, that if, you know, nobody should have to do homework you know after you know, watch, <laughs> watching a movie you know if you have to do a lot of explaining and people have to do homework then it's apparent that you didn't do a good enough job you know in the movie of kind of you know setting things up and uh you know other things like that i'm sure as we go along we'll, we'll talk about the things that we liked or didn't like about the flick but uh for me it's definitely not the worst one but it's definitely not in my top five and i and it and that actually didn't change after I saw it a second time. Do you do you think before we get to Jen? Um, I don't know if you remember before the movie came out, it was already being held as a great film. Like, and people to the point where when they had to replace uh, Trevorrow for uh, episode nine, everyone was like, "No, Ryan Johnson needs to make episode nine because people are already." Like months before, they were already saying, "Oh, this is going to be a great film." It was almost like there was some knowledge that people seemed to have had that obviously turned out not to be true. That the film was already a great film, and people were expecting it to be. Because remember, like all the talk about it was that it, 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 you know, it changes the game, and it was this, and it was that, and people were already saying Ryan Johnson knocked it out the park. This was way before the film came out. Do you think yeah. some of that may have uh, that expectation hurt it? Uh, just the fact that I mean, you know what I'm talking about, right? It was already yeah, like, yeah. A lot of people were doing this, and something that I'm definitely curious to hear um, Jen's thoughts of is one of the things outside of, you know, of course, a massive hype. And just like you said, you know, it was getting positive for being, you know, possibly one of the best Star Wars. And, and, like, and like I said, I mean, to some people, it is their favorite and they're not wrong. Mm -hmm. You know, you're your favorite, you know, your favorite. But I, I think that a lot of people just like in regular life, when there are certain narratives about the reasons why fans don't like it, the other side tries to build a false narrative of why people didn't like it. And it's like, uh, you know, it's not just because of the things with Luke and all of that. It's just story wise. It just, <laughs> it was just kind of a mess. There are certain plot lines that didn't seem to always fit. Some things were forced. And one of the things that I hear about this movie is that people say that it's bold and it's doing all these other things. But honestly, what did it do bold? So I'm really curious to hear what Jen has to say. I mean, was there anything <laughs> bold, uh, at least to you in the movie? Or, uh, you know, what were your initial reactions? Well, <clears throat> I number one, I did like it. I, I didn't not like it. Mm -hmm. um, it fits in. It's not, you know, totally, like, out there in terms of content and story. 
But no, I didn't. No, I, I'm going to back that up because yes, I did find Ray's expanded role in the universe that was actually pretty groundbreaking. And and when I say that, I'm 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 not comparing it to the past two because because there that presence is there. <clears throat> but in terms of the overall importance of where the story seems to be going, it feels like they made a very conscious effort to put a woman in that role. So in that sense, yes, I do think that it was pretty bold. From from a story point of view, I don't feel like they took any risks with The Last Jedi that would have sort of made it uh, something that was, wow, this is a game changer. You know, the, the, the franchise is now going to stand upside down or something. Yeah. And like you said... I think the counter narrative of the narrative, which is here's all the the reasons that people don't like it, is it, you, you can't win that war. I, I really disagree with the way that everybody who is involved with the film came out to defend it. And the reason that I think that that was so wrong is because you can't win that war. No, that no, war no. is done by the time that you hit the stroke on your keyboard. It's done. <clears throat> if you let it go and you let the fans sort it out, they will. They will. There's just that that's what happens. This is we are in a totally different age of uh of sort of real-time communication that you can't win those kinds of epic battles because they'll never see it the way that you want them to see it. Does that make sense? You know what I'm trying no, to say? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, actually, when you were mentioning, you know, about Ray and, you know, being in the lead and things like that, I think, you know, one of the issues and something that, you know, me as a Star Wars fan, I, I love the, you know, the the idea uh, you know of Ray, but there are certain things that are in Star Wars movies that I just haven't really gotten a sense through Ray. Like you know, everybody in Star Wars, you know, all of the major players. You know, you've got your you know your Han Solo, your Luke Skywalker. Um, you know, you have Princess Leia, and there is definitely uh, you know a couple of parallels that can be made between her and Ray. I just don't feel like you know when people call Ray a Mary Sue, I think that it's justified. Uh, she, we've gone through two movies, and she hasn't taken an ass whooping yet, and that's like Star Wars baptism. Right. Like yeah. the main the main character has to like lose, and they've kind of they've kind of moved past a point. Um, going into the third movie because we know she's not going to lose in, in yep. the third movie and I just don't I just feel like there are certain criticisms at least on the character of Ray that people have um, because like we all see it on the internet like if you say she's a Mary Sue people are going to say you know you're anti-woman you, you know what right, I mean right. people, mm-hmm. people are going going to do that but it's it's one of those issues where if you actually watch the movie I mean you know how can people, you know, her power and, you know, everything like that. I don't think that they did a good job of kind of setting those things up. Now, we don't know what we're going to really get on the Blu-ray. I've read a few things, but uh, I think that there's something called Ray's third lesson. Uh, mm-hmm. I read a synopsis for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, but that's not like, you know, some killer 
you know, training montage or anything. But uh, when it comes out, I'll be curious to see what it is. But I just don't feel like, you know, her just finding out her parents aren't uh, are just like some bums. I don't think that that's the worst thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? That could happen. Yeah, I, I, I didn't have an issue with that. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know. I just don't think the struggle hasn't you know, been real enough for her character. And I don't even want, you know, I, and another thing is the, the, you know, the Finn character, you know, they had an opportunity with that character, um, with him being the first character to switch sides from, uh, you know, the bad guys over to the good guys. I thought it would have been cool. Like if they would have made Finn an officer or something kind of set up like they did with Hux and Kylo, a thing between him and Phasma, which would have just, it would have just made it more, uh, interesting for those characters to be, you know, at odds or something. But they they played up the whole janitor rotation thing, <laughs> and I and I just kind of get tired of the old, you know, the safe brother always funny type shit. Because John Boyega is a real good actor, great actor. Yeah, you know, I've seen him in a bunch of other things, but it's like the writing in these movies are just set up to waste his talents, and that kind of irks me. So I'm not really that excited about his character and. The whole him and Rose thing and the oh god, like right. <laughs> Capital Bite, yeah. <laughs> can I, can I make a just a quick observation? I made this observation actually earlier mm-hmm. um, to uh, on the on a previous phone call. <clears throat> the 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 issue with especially this part of the of the Star Wars piece is <clears throat> rather than take the world that they've already built and let that world building stand all by itself. They keep world building and that's not sustainable because if the characters don't matter to us, they don't matter to us. It doesn't matter how awesome the environment is, how wonderful the world itself is and the dynamic between characters in especially in star Wars, where we already have such a convoluted, incredibly complex map of worlds it becomes much more important to boil it down to human interaction. And what's missing, oh, I shouldn't say what's missing, the, the broken part, I think, of this is the film itself has issues that are content-related, but they're, but they're not, they're, they're construction-related. It's like when they built it, they just didn't build it with enough power behind it. And so that's not the same argument as some people are having about how you wrecked my childhood by creating a different kind of Luke Skywalker. And that that's a totally different or it's a totally different argument. But the arguments get blended together because what you're seeing is the result of not having the content with the characters be really strong. And that's what we know. Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Leia, Yoda, everybody was really strong. And these characters feel like, like you said before, they haven't earned their place in the Star Wars world well enough for us to go, totally, you are a Jedi, you know, we give you all the respect that you could ever want. And and in some ways, I think they took the characters and tried to, God, forgive me for using this phrase, but they tried to make them millennial. Mm-hmm. And it was such a huge mistake because they didn't need to. The millennials were already on board with Star Wars. Mm-hmm. They didn't need to do that. And they, 
I don't want to say that they dumbed them down, but they created a, a social dynamic for them that didn't need to be there. They could have used the existing world, they could have used the existing structures, and they could have powered through with those characters and made them way more important than they were. Now, this is following through, and let me just get in real quick. Mm-hmm. And they, when you said following through, that that's so on the nose because one of the things that annoyed a lot of fans is it seemed like Ryan Johnson and the people involved in this film were actually taken aback that people wanted them to follow up on threads that were set up in the previous movie. Thank you. <laughs> I mean, I mean, why is that so outrageous? Because it, it's totally it seems like the Last Jedi is kind of like a gotcha movie in a way. You know, um, I think that they let us know in this movie that the whole, you know, apparently Ray's going to have to defeat Kylo Ren because I, they purposely took off the table Ben getting this whatever redemption means uh, in the Star Wars universe. You know, a lot of people say that Vader was redeemed. I'm on the side of you kill billions of fucking people. And then say you're sorry at the end. You're not ridiculous. <laughs> Thank you. Know you. I mean? I'm just yeah, saying. No kidding. You know what I'm saying? For, you know, maybe that's just me. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people talk about the redemption thing. But I, I just I think that they did a um, I just think that they did a bad job. And I'm wondering if J.J. Abrams is going to kind of say kind of kind of like retcon. I don't want to say retcon. Go back on stuff that Ryan Johnson did, but I can totally see him kind of doing his own thing. It's just that we're just so we're so far into the game at this point that I don't think that uh, as Jen was saying, I don't think it's going to be convincing in the future for some of the things that they're going to try to do. So, uh, you know, we'll see. Now, there's there's a couple of things that I had issue with the film. And um, and there's another overall thing that I, I'll wait before I bring into it. But, like, you know, th- there were things that were brought up in The Force Awakens that they just totally, you know, dismissed. Or they, they minimized. Uh, the one thing, The Knights of Ren, I was really looking forward to that. You know, um, to finding out more about that, and they, and Ryan Johnson was just like, ah, fuck that shit, you know, <laughs> like that, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you know, I like, I really was looking forward to finding out more, and I figured we would see them in this one, and he just said, uh, not important, and then um, also uh, another thing was Snoke. I wish there was more about you know with Snoke. Um, you know, I mean that scene when he gets. Well, spoiler alert, he gets uh, killed. It was a great scene in the moment, you know? Like, when it first happened, you're like, oh, shit, cool. And then, like, but then there was, like, buyer's remorse right afterwards. It was like, but that kind of sucks, though. <laughs> like, you know, it was like, it was like it was cool, but then, like, then you're like, but I yeah. wanted more about Snoke. Like, you know, like, I actually wanted more information and I wanted Luke and Snoke to throw down because he was like the only person possible to to challenge him, right? And that didn't happen. So that was disappointing. <laughs> you know There's the gotcha, you know? Oh, you yeah. think that Luke and Snoke are gonna get together? Gotcha. You know, it's, not it's, it's not gonna And then happen. Mary Poppins the Mary Poppins moment was the absolute yeah. I, you know what? I I had an out of body experience when that when I first saw that scene. There was a moment where I'm like, wait, am I watching the parody? Uh, you know, like, is this real? Is this really happening? Like, well, 
Well, you, you know what? You know what's interesting? You know, up until that point in the movie, to be honest with you, uh-huh. and and this is what I would have done. It is, I mean, and also, you know, because they were still editing and doing things to the film mm-hmm. after the passing of um, of Carrie Fisher, right. but. I initially thought my, the first time that I was watching it was when she got sucked out of, out of space. I was like, bravo. They had the nuts to just go ahead and, you know, because it, it totally took you aback right. that, wow, they killed our Princess Leia like in the first, <laughs> you know, 15 minutes of the movie. And I and it, initially I was like, man, that was brilliant. She And, you know, you know, sorry that Admiral Akbar didn't get the the love that he was due. <laughs> right. uh, only getting to mention that he had died. But I thought that that was brilliant. But then when they went back out and of course, how you were saying the. Uh, the Mary Poppins moment. I just thought that that was, yeah. You know what? I thought that that was less surprising than Poe, Finn, and whoever the third person was seeing her come back and nobody saying, "Did you see that shit?" You know, what I'm <laughs> like nobody was like, you know. I mean, the way that they write Finn. I mean, both of you tell me if I'm wrong. Shouldn't he have been like, "Motherfuckers, did you see that shit?" You know, like, <laughs> right. Why is nobody yeah. saying anything? Like, you know what I'm and that just kind of bothered you know, me. You know, the, the more that I think about this, not I'm. It's where I'm. I promise I'm not going to get off on tangent. But the more that I think about this, the more I think you know. 2017 had a bunch of movies like this. The 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 end of well, not the end of the Alien movie mm-hmm. and Blade Runner both struck me as exactly the same thing. They had awesome lore to work with they had worlds that were already set down for them and they chose to go off in some weird direction that i can't even begin to fathom i i I, it's hard for me as a fan with uh, a bit of history behind me to to understand why they take these almost irreverent jumps into uncharted territory with material that is so solid that you couldn't ask for better. It's like, you know, if you bought a beautiful house for, you know, a hundred grand and it turned out to be a mansion that was worth a million. And so what do you do? You knock off all the rooms to make it worth a hundred grand again. It's like, it's so crazy. What are you doing? That... 2017 had a bunch of movies like that. Now, now there's something I, I wanted to... I, I've been wanting to talk to Yardley about this. Um, I watched a YouTube video that it was literally the whole history of Star Wars, right? And... Oh. Um, I, I don't know where this comes from. I guess it comes from the books and the uh, the uh, cartoons and all, you know, all the, the canon material. That shit was so interesting. Like it went back to like the beginning of time or whatever, and then it yeah. went all the way up to the Force Awakens. And that shit was so interesting. I'm talking about the stuff that weren't in the in the movies, right? And like all these, you know, previous Sith lords and how the 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 Sith and the Jedi fought. And I mean, that shit was so good. And I'm sitting there like, they should make a movie about that shit. Like you know, yeah. like it's really. In, I, I mean, I'm on the edge yeah. of my seat. Like watch, you know, watching that, 
And, uh, you know, I mean, I would have rather... I mean, I, I liked Rogue One. Rogue One was a good movie, but I would have rather seen that shit than the the, uh, the Death Star plans, how they got the Death Star. I'm like, so, you know, that history and, you know, and um, Darth Plagueis and, you know, and all of that stuff and is Ooh, so interesting deep in and deep. It's like, who are those writers and why aren't they <laughs> on staff? <laughs> you know, like whoever wrote that shit <laughs> was a beast. You know, like, yeah. well, well, but but partially here's the thing. Uh, part of the theme is that people were saying that, you know, taking, uh, you know, taking Star Wars into the future and, you know, mm-hmm. all of these different things. But it seems like Star Wars in itself is muddled in the past. You know, Rogue One, you know, it's in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they bring back, you know, the. You know the big three from the former movies into the yep. new movie, so you're <laughs> stuck in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, they kill off Han Solo in the Force Awakens, and what do you follow that up with? Going back in the past <laughs> when Han Solo, yeah. you know what I'm saying, was younger. So the people who are already hot about you know the Han Solo thing, I didn't really mind Han Solo Me dying. Either. I just don't think that it was, it was a good move to do that and then follow it up, you know, with the movie you know, called solo. So I, you know, I think that both of you, you know, all of the points that, you know, everyone has made, uh, uh, I'm with Jen, you know, you, you've got a big shiny object that you can really take in a lot of, you know, in, in a lot of different directions. And when you go online, you're always find that person who says, well, you know, if you could write a story, better story, do it. I'm like, please, you know, give, give me the wheel, bruh. You know what I mean? I, 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 think, I, I think I could have done a little better, yeah. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? I'll take the wheel. I guarantee you I would have had it, you know, uh, I would have had it, you know. And it seems so easy. A little bit better. There's so but many yeah, things that they could have gave it. You know, this is one of the situations in this movie. Fan service would have actually might have served the the uh the story better like there like to me it's a slam dunk you have Luke like we finally I, my thinking you know what I was most excited about this trilogy we were going to see Luke in his glory and I figured he was going to die at some point but you know that's something that we really didn't see really in the first trilogy and they totally f- fucked it off and uh I mean um that was the disappointing thing about yeah. this film. And then also um the thing uh the thing that I do like I I was telling this to Jen earlier we had a conversation. The best character to me in this new trilogy is Kylo Ren because that's the one character they actually put a lot of really good development. And the you know the the reason why he's as good as he is makes sense cuz he was trained by both Luke Skywalker and uh, Snoke, right? He didn't just all of a sudden yep. pick up a lightsaber and was a badass. You know what I mean? And, uh, you know, like, he's a very well... First of all, Adam Driver is amazing. He does a, a brilliant job. And his character is a really well-done character. He may be the only well-done character. And my second favorite character, uh, even though it's not very developed, is uh, Hux, because he cracks me up. <laughs> you know? I, I, I said to myself... Uh, the, the way he must have got his job must have been nepotism. And I looked and I saw on something that, in fact, his father was like a, you know, a, a, he killed his father. 
I, I read something where he killed his father, and his father was like a general or something like that. So, but uh, so I, I get yeah. that one. I mean, so you enjoyed uh, them kind of turning Hux into like the butt of a lot of jokes. No, it made me laugh. I mean, it did make me laugh. Like I like that opening scene. I know a lot of people hated it. I laughed. I thought it was funny, you know. And he's a, you know, he's oh, yeah. he was a dweeb in the first one too. He thinks he's Hitler I, or something, you know. <laughs> But he was he he was kind of you know he was convincing and, and mm-hmm. this is something that he's, I he's a great actor get, too that guy <laughs> that I want to get uh, Jen's opinion on like you know when I mentioned earlier that it, it's it's a gotcha movie and kind of combined with what you were saying earlier Kente about hell yeah people want to see Luke Skywalker I you know. I, when he says, "What do you expect me to do? You know, to show up and fight the fir- fr- the whole first order with my lasers, laser yes. sword?" I'm like, "You damn right." That's what yes. I, you know, <laughs> that, that's what I, you know, that's what I want to see you do. But in any other movie, when they were on um, Octo or whatever, you remember when you know Luke throws the lightsaber over his shoulder and then it shows those porgs on it, and mm-hmm. then Ray reaches for it and she looks over the side and you see the X-wing. In any other movie, that would have meant something. She sees the X-Wing. In any other movie, that would have meant later on in the movie, Luke's going to get that fucking X-Wing Dang and he's going to fly That's out. what I thought. <laughs> yeah, you know, but yeah, uh, uh, gotcha. Isn't gotcha. There, that's what isn't, you thought. I gotcha. Isn't there, you know? isn't there a canon where Luke uh, takes on one of the AT-ATs or something or with his power or something like you know, post Return of the Jedi or something like that? But there's something where it was like Luke did something really freaking amazing with his force abilities where I think he pulled down the ad ad or something like that or it was something pretty badass I remember seeing uh, you know so I was like I thought that we were going to see that in this movie and I was like no you know I mean it was cool the projection thing but it, you know I, it was, I, I just think that people just kind of felt like if Luke Skywalker is going to go out you know he gotta, he's got to ignite the green you know and, and, and co- go out there and kind of do something. If you're going to kill him off anyway, what other way would it be for everybody to absolutely, for them to rub our faces in, there's no way that Kylo Ren can come back than to have had him kill Han Solo. And I love the way that they did the, you know, when Princess Leia got sucked out of the, you know, the ship. I thought that that was cool how they had the other two interceptors do it because he kind of was doubting it. But he would have been the cause of Han Solo, his mother, and then he ends up killing Luke Skywalker. <laughs> he would have been the ultimate Star Wars, you know what I'm saying, villain going into the third one. But uh, I just, it just seems like as bold as they think they are, I, I think that they think that they're a little bit more brilliant than they actually are. And I, I do think that <laughs> like Solo might suffer suffer from it because... I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, there was a lot of mess that went on with that movie, and I think they're hedging their bets on it. You know, there's there's another uh, there's another aspect to this, which I think is it's harder to pin down, but it's important to identify because there are very few pieces of I'll just I'll just call it uh, pop culture experience that exist for us that span such an incredible uh, length of time. And Star Wars, you have people who are still alive who went to see Star Wars when it first came out, right? You have kids, you have adults. I mean, you have people that are still talking about the first time they saw Star Wars. So they have a vested interest in 
here's what I, this is what I expect, right? Then you've got a group of kids, kids now, who never saw it. And their only experience with Star Wars is what they've seen in the past couple of years. And that's fine, too. But somehow, if the writers are not at least acknowledging that all of this depth is there for the people who have been carrying this franchise for how long, then you do a huge disservice to the fandom. And I'm not saying you don't call people out for, you know, talking bad. I, yeah, I don't like the garbage talk on Twitter. I hate the garbage talk on pretty much any place. But the but the issue that I have is that the is that the writers and the producers and everybody who's associated with it they're so fast to call people out and say, well, well, if you think you can do it, you know, you here you take paper and you do it better. No, that's not what it's about. It's not about that. It's about listening to a fan base that has carried this movie for what forty something years. I mean. There's something to that from uh, a pop culture experience altogether, which, and you know where I see it the most? If you look at what <coughs> happens on TV, like if you look at the 100, he made changes. He totally made changes in what was happening based on fan interaction. And it, just because they're a movie doesn't set them up on some godlike structure that says that they can't have constructive criticism from a fan base that again has carried this movie for 40 years I, I mean this franchise for 40 years I just think that it's uh, disrespectful in some ways yeah yeah a little bit earlier we were joined by filmmaker writer producer William Lee here is that discussion I am here joined by my two lovely co-hosts we have the one and only Tori Rush how you doing How you doing, Tori? Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, I think we're having some technical difficulties with Tori. We're here with uh, Jen as well. Sorry. Oh, there you go. Wait, Tori. How you doing, Tori? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so glad that you were here with us. And we're also joined by oh. by the one and only Jen. How you doing, Jen? Hey, I'm doing good. I, You know, I'm getting over uh, whatever it is that everybody has had so i'm gonna try to stick myself on mute as much as possible so i don't cough in your ear thank you i appreciate <laughs> that and and you know while i was in chicago for about a month during december and first of all i'm from los angeles born and raised and that was next level cold um i remember the uh the meteorologist <laughs> the meteor- you got a midwestern cold finally the meteorologist said Today is zero degrees, but it feels like minus 17, and she was 100% right. <laughs> it was cold as hell, so I froze my butt off. I got sick, and uh, it took, you know, I don't I don't never get sick, right? But uh, I got sick, right. and it took me forever to, uh, to get over it, but uh, I am good now, strong as a horse. Glad to be back in uh, beautiful Los Angeles where it's 80 every day. <laughs> And uh, I'm just so happy to be here, and I appreciate it. And I'm glad to celebrate 2018 with you fine people. 
but uh, we have a tremendous guest. This is his third time being on the program. This guy is a filmmaker. He's an actor, a martial artist, a writer, a producer, editor. I mean, I can just keep going on. And, and I've seen this brother breakdance. So this, <laughs> this brother can do it all. It's the one and only William Lee. How you doing, sir? All right. How are you? Pretty good, man. And, I, you know, I know I didn't even list all your tools in your toolbox. But uh, we'd be here probably uh, the next uh, Tuesday. So, yeah. um, but I, I'm I love these people who can do so much and get a lot accomplished. And I'm happy to be here uh, with you, chopping it up. Um, for those who may not have heard your, the first two times that you uh, were on our show, can you kind of give us a little bit about your background? Um, well, uh, was born in New York. Uh, Sometime in the 70s, the family moved to Ohio. It was part of my de- father. He's a World War II veteran and an aircraft engineer. And the opportunities were really great out in the Midwest. Um, ended up in a little town called Dayton, Ohio. Um, sometime in 1974, I went to the drive-ins with my sister. A lot of, you, a lot of your listeners would probably say, what the hell is a drive-in? <laughs> anyway, <it's, laughs> when you watch movies out in your car, it was outside and you had a little speaker box attached to the window. And uh, I went to see Bruce Lee for the first time, so three of his films, and ever since that day, that's all I've ever wanted to do is make action movies. So, and as I, as I was telling you before we went on the air, I always wanted to be the black Bruce Lee, so to speak. And that sort of has been my driving force for everything I, I do in film. And so for the past 40 some odd years, I've made films, uh, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so successfully. Failure, success, failure, success, up the hill, down the hill. And um, here we are today. Now, um, just a, a side note, I, I was a, a big fan of Bruce Lee, and I always say Bruce Lee is the reason why a lot of brothers got knots in their head, yes. because when we were younger, we would have the nunchucks, and we thought we yes. were Bruce Lee, and we kept popping ourselves in the head with the, the nunchucks. So, yes. so but I, I'm, I, I was, I'm a huge Bruce Lee fan to this day, and have all of his movies. Uh, we used to be able to quote them backwards and forward, and thought we were Bruce Lee and uh you know it's a beautiful thing well mm-hmm. you know that I, I I'm a first degree black belt so I have studied June Vaughn quite a bit and and I, I appreciate his his uh artistry in martial arts so yeah I, he was a big influence on me too yeah I mean um you know he uh, you know it's funny they just recently did a movie about well, it wasn't even about Bruce Lee. Yeah. It was that birth of a yeah. dragon crap. It was awful. Oh my god! I, I didn't, I didn't watch it, but it, I was kind well, of offended problem, by the that. The problem was the same problem Hollywood always has with putting people of color or women in starring roles. They were afraid to let a Asian carry the film. Mm-hmm. So essentially, they had a white surfer dude do the narration, and Bruce Lee was sort of like this cast off, you know, ancillary part to a film, which was supposed to be about Bruce Lee, right? So that's why that, be, you know, and, and the way Bruce was portraying in the film, he was really cocky, over the top, just wanting to get in fights all the time, which was the furthest thing from Bruce Lee's actual nature. Um, and I was going to say, uh, my cousin, George, actually trained with Bruce Lee mm. back in the late 60s and 70s. I didn't find this out until about three or four years ago. Oh, wow. The that's woman amazing. I married, it was her cousin, and everybody realized I really liked Bruce Lee. She says, I got something to show you, and she shows me a picture of my cousin, George, with Bruce Lee, and I'm like, oh, my God. What the hell? This is this is freaking amazing. So, um, awesome. yeah, the other, cool. the other thing too you were mentioning about uh, black people going to see kung fu movies. Mm-hmm. Well, we used to go to the drive-in. I used to carry in a cassette tape recorder and record the films. Now this was before videotape 
was in vogue. Oh wow! And this is this is how I began to process what Bruce was doing on film, and I sort of coordinated what I had in my memory with the sounds of the recording that I took home, and sort of pieced together the movie in my mind. And so, when I make movies now, I generally start with a script, but I use images in my mind to to put the script out. And so, consequently, I get on set. I don't have a storyboard. Everybody's looking at me like, "Well, Will, what do we do next?" Now I've got the movie in my head. Mm. So I'm walking around saying, what the hell's wrong with you guys? You know what's next. And they don't because they, they can't get inside my head to figure it out. So that sort of became a practice ground for actually doing my own films is this committing to memory, those maneuvers and the, and the angles and the shots and the kinds of characters you want and then the dialogue. And it's all like up in my head all the time. And people always ask me how, because I, I write movie scripts generally within two weeks. I mean, if it takes me more than two weeks to write a feature, I've got issues. I'm just not concentrating. Mm. And that, I come from a lifetime of one, not having a lot of friends. So my best friends were people on paper. Um, and the other overriding factor was is that when we moved from New York to Ohio in the 60s, it was a big culture shock because in New York, I had I lived next to an Italian mob guy, okay? And across the street was a Polish guy. And there were all these different people from all different backgrounds. And I moved to Dayton, Ohio in the 19, late 1960s. I was in a black, lower-class neighborhood. And it was segregated from the white neighborhood and it was segregated from the whatever neighborhood. And so I had to learn how to assimilate into that culture again. It wasn't just, you know, I could be who I wanted to be. Now I had that tough when I was in a black neighborhood. Then when I went to the white neighborhood, I had to change my facade or image to blend in so I didn't get lynched or killed or whatever. So it, <laughs> it became really hard to trust anybody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And so in that sense, I became my own best friend and, the things I typed on paper, that was the people I talked to. And I know that makes me sound like I'm a nut, but <laughs> this is how I am as I am now. So. You know what I love about, you know, writing is it is like playing God, you know, like, mm -hmm. you you know, you control who lives and who dies. You, you know, you can make yourself the hero or the villain or whatever makes you feel more comfortable. So, uh, you know, you know, it, it definitely writing definitely supports my God complex. Uh, I wonder if you agree with that. <laughs> well, mine's a little different. Actually, I, and this is also going to sound crazy, is the, the characters speak to me as I write. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is I will write a piece of dialogue for a character, and the character will say, now you know I wouldn't say that, right, Will? You've got to go back and change that. And I, I go back, I do the you know, changes, and I look at it again, and I say, damn. Somebody was right on. This character knew what they were supposed to say and what they were supposed to do. Now it makes sense to me. So there, there's this constant churning in my head of story ideas and how characters should go. And so finally when the voice is quiet down, I think I have the script that I want. Um, essentially, there's always this lingering feeling that something needs to be changed and I know the script is not complete. But once those voices finally you know, say, okay, well, we think you got it, <laughs> then I stop writing. Then it's time to make the movie. So... That's how that's how I do the whole writing process. I, I think a little bit. I let the character kind of overtake mm -hmm. me, and uh, I write things very fast. So yes. yeah, I, I get I get your process. Like yeah. it, I can knock out a whole article in fifteen minutes. Right. I don't well, know you why. Write, you know, the reason you write fast is because they're talking to you. You don't, you know, you don't really have to come up with the concepts. There's that voice telling you, okay, and then I want you to, and you've got to include this. And wait a minute, you've got yes. to, and that's how I type too. So 
I'll type the original draft of the script, and it looks like somebody's trying to type Chinese. I mean, you can't read it. I understand it, but you can't. So I got to go back and do spell checks for half the day to make it sound make sense and format. Oh yeah, yeah, I agree. Now um, let's get into uh, well, you know what? Um, let's. Uh, I think we didn't. Uh, Six feet knee deep hadn't come out yet. The last time you were on. And um, mm. that was your last film that was in Redbox. And right. and then now you have the movie Six Feet Below Hell. Uh, right. First of all, um, none those movies are absolutely not in the same universe, right? No. Okay. Um, three, uh, three Knee Deep, and, and the story behind Three Knee Deep is, is that, again, we're dealing with Hollywood mentality. That's what we were talking about before we got in the air is, Frank Zappa once said that the old days of making records were the best because you had a bunch of really old guys who didn't understand what the hell he was doing, and they said, you know what? We don't know what it is, but the kids like it. We'll put it out there. Maybe it'll work. Now you've got all these young executives in Hollywood that run around with other people just like them that live in the same world as they do, and they watch uh, women and ethnic minorities and people of color and whoever through this glass. They don't live in that world. So they watch me, they watch the ladies, they watch you on TV. So their idea of reality is what they have seen as opposed to what they have lived. So consequently, Three Me Deep was a film where they wanted it to be the typical gangster film where the, the original synopsis was three gangsters break out of jail and they are in search of something. That was the only thing I was given. And I was given a poster. <laughs> so they said, Will, you got three weeks to make a movie. So I wrote the script where I was a Jamaican drug lord who had a Harvard education who actually had a running business as opposed to being a drug dealer. Obviously, his money had come from the drugs. But it wasn't your typical, the gangbangers go in the hood and everybody shoots it up. So it became this complex drama, and then an FBI agent gets involved, and I work with her to take down the real bad guys. Mm -hmm. So that wasn't what Redbox and the producers wanted. But once they got it, now they said, Oh, wait a minute. So you mean black people and, and women can do this too? I mean, it was like sort of eye-opening for them. And so, I mean, it was at Redbox for 16 weeks, which blew me away. I, again, that was a film I didn't – I expected it to do well. Mm -hmm. I didn't expect for it to remain at Redbox for 16 weeks. So Six Feet Below Hell was my totally my idea. Um, we have an investment group that when they want to do a film, they come to us and say, here's several thousand dollars, go shoot the movie. Well, this time around, they were taking a little too long for my taste. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do the film I've been wanting to do. It's, it's got zombies in it, but zombies will not be the focus of the film. Zombies are sort of an ancillary part to the movie. And so we shot that same thing. I wrote the script in three weeks. We shot it in seven, eight weeks. Um, Redbox was calling for the film as soon as we had it done. It was out in Redbox stores about a month and a half later. They, In fact... The process for us is so fast, it becomes almost impossible. There was one deadline that was almost impossible to meet. And for an independent filmmaker, it's nice to have that because typically you're on hold all the time. It's like, this is not what we want right now. Let's wait, do something different, we'll get back to you. But in our case, we have the luck to have a connection that when they want to film, basically they come to us, boom, it's out. Six Feet Below Hell, I just did it on, in the hopes that it would hit. And I'm proud to say that this week, we're over eight months at Redbox. And mm. as you probably know, even for a major Hollywood film, that's a long time to be in a distribution, right. uh, first run distribution. So really happy with the success of that. I started to gamble on myself because I had to put up my own money for Six Feet Below Hell. Greedy right. Deep was investors. This movie was me saying, okay, here's my money. Let's go. 
Congratulations, too, by the way. And, <laughs> yeah, I love it. And you did, uh, and you know, yeah, you I, do a lot of things <laughs> in this film that um, a lot of people are hesitant to do. Like, uh, okay, so you have special effects. As, as far as uh, as far as um, independent filmmakers, you you have special effects. You have uh, the you know visual sound and sword and makeup. You also have a huge cast. You have yes. quite a bit of people that are in your cast, um, mm-hmm. and then it you know and the locations you know are all over the all over the place as far as uh, what you are able to accomplish, mm-hmm. and um, and you know you did I thought you did an, an excellent job of of marrying all of these uh, these things together to uh, create uh, this film. Um, I have so many questions about the film, and I think the first thing I want to uh, talk about is, uh, is um, there's a scene very early on where it takes place in uh, England. And uh, so where did you where did you find those actors from? And and uh, tell me about that whole sequence and how that, you know, how it came out and all of that. Well, those, uh, those are some awesome friends that I actually met on Facebook, Frank Cannon and the folks over in England. Um, I've been talking to them online and they do films overseas as well. And they do some really exceptional work. They don't have the outlet that I have to release films. I wish they did because they, they blow me away as far as overall production. And just the English accent and the way they interact with each other, mannerisms, colloquialisms, the whole nine yards. And so I said, well, I've got some money in the budget, and I want to start the film off with an international flavor. And I want you guys to actually be the beginning of the zombie virus. So you have an Islamic terrorist who sets off a bomb in this cabinet meeting. Mm -hmm. And they basically, I gave them the body of the script. I told them to cast whoever you thought would work. Casting was magnificent. And basically... They shot it for me in a couple of weeks. Um, they sent me over the, the footage, edited it in, and rest is history. Um, I, always, I always like to put, as I said, the first cast. The, the problem I have sometimes is trying to make sure I don't overdo it because there, had, there was a film I shot many years ago called Demons Rise, and we had over 70 cast members in. The movie was an absolute nightmare oh, wow. trying to keep up with who was who, what they were doing, why they were in the film. I remember a critic in the United Kingdom said, I. I the only issue I had was money and just too many people, and, which was pretty much the truth on that one. Um, in this one, I tried to make sure you were consistently on a certain group of characters, but I always like to bring in fresh blood during a film. Um, I really don't enjoy films that are like two people in a cabin, and mm-hmm. the whole weekend is who's going to kill who. And I mean, yeah, there's a market for that, but that's not me. I like to bring fresh characters to add different offshoots of the story. And instead of the traditional three acts, I always have that fourth act or even a fifth act at the end of the film. So you're like, is this movie like ending now? Can I go do what mm-hmm. I gotta do? Or is that something else up here? So, mm-hmm. and that that is my that is my sequel uh, provision. It's always like opening an open end to the film. If I ever get the money or go ahead to go do another part to that film, there it is waiting for. Me. Mm. Now, what was the the most difficult thing about uh, making this film? Um. As always, it's people. Um, typically, when you're working outside of Hollywood, trying to get the right people is always a difficult task because some people just do not, and this is my big, biggest pet peeve, and I don't want to get on my rant, but people do not understand business. There are people who come to me that believe I'm going to make them millionaires and famous overnight, and I try to explain to them this is independent film. We don't make millionaires overnight. It's a long, hard road. I've been doing this for 40 years. It's only in the last 10 years I've been able to really 
achieve the kind of success that I envisioned when I was a teenager. So you have to sort of separate the wheat from the chaff, as the saying goes, and find people that are going to be dependable, narrow it down, and make sure those are the ones in the film. And it seems like every film we have, there's somebody who's really gung-ho at the start, and then about two weeks into it, they're complaining about they got to go to a bowling tournament or, you know, something's happening with the family or I can't be there, and it just throws the whole thing into, you know, into chaos. So basically just making sure that the shooting schedule was coherent enough that I could keep people in the film and not lose people through attrition. And that's, that's always the toughest part. The stuff behind the scenes is the tough part. The special effects and the kung fu and the music and all that great stuff you see on screen, that's easy. Just the human element is always the toughest part of independent filmmaking. And it's, it's the nature of the beast. I mean, you can't, you just don't have the funds to give people Hollywood salaries. But for the people that understand what we're doing and stick with it, well, then they reap the fruits of what we're doing because now they've been in the world view for eight months. I mean, now they go to audition for a job. Hey, I'm in Redbox. Oh, okay. Well, come on. Let's go. So now you have that credibility and you have that track record. And so that your career just you know takes that leap. So. Yeah. Now, one thing that I notice about about your films is you love to put uh, a lot of strong uh, female parts in your films and uh talk about some of the ladies that are in your cast and uh and um your process as far as uh writing uh roles for women uh yeah we i have always had this thing where i employ colorblind and genderblind casting when i do films um i'll write a script with a certain individual in mind but i've always told people that when you audition for me i really don't care who you are if you can really blow me away with your interpretation of that character you might get the part and and also i'm very uh mindful of not only the ethnic end of it but women as well because we even in action films you always say see women as vulnerable they've always, always got to be helped by some guy um they can never complete the mission unless they have a bunch of guys behind them in my movies i let the women carry their own story, do their own action, uh, make their own decisions. They're not guided. In fact, in this film, uh, Brittany Picard, who plays this sort of loner that comes to my uh, help cabin in the woods because she's on the run from these uh, this drug gang that happened near the end of the end of the world, right before the zombie apocalypse. And she starts out as sort of the street urchin type character, but in the movie, she ends up saving my life at one point. And it's always apparent that she really is in control of her own destiny. You know, no matter how much of a badass. Uh, my character is in the film. She can handle her own stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Tiki Von Synth plays the doctor in the film. It's the doctor who has an alcohol issue. And her performance is always, she's really a, a tremendous actress. And in this film, it, it stands out because a lot of the stuff she did, people don't know, she ad-libbed. I mean, mm-hmm. generally with Tiki, I just say, here's the scene, here's the dialogue, honey. It's on you, do it. And generally she comes up with some kind of gem during the shooting of those particular scenes. So it's always important to me to make sure that people are not put in stereotypical roles, regardless of who you are, where you come from. There are a lot of roles that I wrote for, quote, unquote, black people that I actually give the white people in the film. So they end up saying dialogue as if a black person was speaking it. And obviously this becomes a shock value to the audience. They're like, why is he talking like that? What is, what is he saying? What, why? Is, you know, and I always want to keep the audience guessing about who is who. And there's no stereotypical uh, portrayal of anyone in any of these films. So. That to me, that's that's important. It's different, and um, you know Hollywood again. It, it always wants to go back to those same generic type of roles and actions. Now, my favorite character, other than yours, of course, <laughs> is the brother wearing the fatigues. That dude oh, yeah. was really good. I hope you work with oh, him yeah. again. 
Uh, what's his name? Ray Powell. I liked Ray, him a lot. He was his, funny. Um, the thing about Ray, and Ray, if you're out there listening, I say this with all due respect. You do not know how good you are. Mm-hmm. Ray is just somebody who should be in L.A. right now recouping millions of dollars for all of his performances because Ray, again, is a, is a person who I basically give him the dialogue and I let Ray run with it. Uh, to me, Ray could do no wrong. Ray comes out, boom, boom, boom. He has these little clips and lines when I'm not expecting it. And the interesting thing was is when I first showed him the character, he was worried about being, again, the typical black guy who's always running from something, you know, the mm-hmm. the the characterization of a black man who can't really handle his business. I said, Ray, this is what I think I tell my actors is you have to trust your director. If you don't trust your director, you don't need to be in my film. I said, just trust me. And as he began to see what I was doing with his character, a character who was at first on the run and then takes control of the situation by the end of the film, uh, he was like, oh, I'm all, I'm all about that. That's fine. Let's do it. So um, Ray and I have an excellent relationship. Um, I'm, I'm always putting him in something uh, in, in terms of filmmaking. Um, he's in our new movie coming out next year, uh, Black Mamba Rising. So we've got him back again. But Ray, yeah, Ray is the kind of actor that you take you take notice to. You don't you don't just gloss over him like oh he was just just one of those extra characters. He was he's the man. Ray's the man. Yeah, he was yeah. he was very funny, yeah. and uh, he in a way he he I don't want to say I hate to say someone stole the movie, but uh, he stood well, out. Did. He stole. Yeah. Uh, he. He yep. uh, stood out very prominently yep. in the film. He was yep. very good, and um, also the yep. sister uh, that was in his group, you know, the four. Uh, she oh, was Banza! Awesome. Yeah, yes. she was awesome as well. And... Banza is a in fact, Banza is a, a great director too. Oh, really? Um, she has a film. Yeah, she has a film coming out, and she's going to kill me for not remembering the name of it. But it's coming out. Uh, I think next month, as a matter of fact, they're having a premiere in Indianapolis. But Banza is a tremendous director. Um, fabulous actress. She was in. Uh, we did another movie called Straight Out of Hate, which we really couldn't get a distribution deal because it was way too controversial for your mainstream audiences. Uh, you know, Mr. Trump might have sent some of his soldiers to shut us down if we showed that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but, um, which hence, uh, there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, hence, um, but Banza, Banza is a phenomenal actress, and again, she's another person. And this is what I do. I have an ensemble group of people that. When I have a film, I say, okay, here's your role. And it's not always going to be a starring role. It's not always going to be a featured role. But somewhere in that film, I can use them to drive that movie forward. And so um, as long as they're willing to stick with me, I am going to stick with these people to carry the load. But, yeah, Bands, Bands and Ray are just phenomenal. Now, there was another scene in the film I, that had me, me and my friend uh, Miosha. She's a filmmaker as well. We watched the film together. And the president... Oh, we were on the floor dying yes. laughing. That was pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. You Russ know. Coley, um, <laughs> he's actually a lawyer in, in real life. Oh, wow. And yeah, Russ, Russ is from Kentucky and um, just the most beautiful. He, I, I think of him like a, a, a brother, a long lost brother. Um, Russ drives three and a half, four hours from Kentucky to come shoot me every time he comes to shoot. And it may be just one, like for the president thing, we shot that within like an hour. So he drove all the way up there just for that scene, and he was happy. He was happy to do it. So uh, Russ is just – I mean, that whole scene was just – and, again, he's the kind of actor I don't have to give a lot of direction to. I'm like, Russ, you're the president. Zombies have just taken over the world. What do you say? And, you know, he runs with it. That's what we did. Oh, yeah. We, we we died laughing watching the, watching <laughs> that scene because it, it's really funny. And yeah. – uh, um, 
And let me talk about your hair in the film. You had your face covered up a lot. Was that on purpose? Yes. Yes, it was. Um, that, that um, actually, when I was younger, I'll have to show you some pictures, but I had dreads when I was younger. Obviously, through the years and, and with my lupus and chemotherapy and all the stuff I've been through over the past 20-some-odd years, I'm, I don't have dreads anymore. I'm bald. Um, but that whole thing was... He, he's he's sort of a mystery man, mm-hmm. and it was just like I wanted him to come at his his enemies like if if they can't really see what I'm thinking and what I'm going to do in this fight, then they're in trouble. And that that was the whole concept behind that. It's just you see a lot of these movies like these. Uh, there was a movie called Ninja Assassin. All through the movie, the guy had hair in, in his face, mm-hmm. and now he was just he was just mysterious, and people didn't want to didn't want to fuck with him. And so that's what the whole concept behind that was. was that was done on purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Okay, I, I thought so. I, we were we were kind of debating that uh, about that as a, a as a, a choice. Um, yeah, and, and 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 another thing too, the fighting style. Uh, what is the fighting style that you were using? And talk about the uh, choreography of the yeah. uh, the fight scenes. Yeah, I, I choreograph all my own stuff. I've been like I said, I've been doing it for forty years. Um, I use a combination of Chinese kung fu and obviously American boxing. Uh, kicking, you know, all different Korean styles. And typically, my, my theory on fight scenes is you really have to do like Bruce Lee and be a person that expresses themselves in the moment. So there is no long list of things I want to do in a fight scene. We get to the set, I see the surroundings I have, how I can utilize them, and I just start. I say, okay, come towards me, throw a punch, I'm going to block it. And that's how the fight scene starts. And from there, I just build out as we progress along. Um, there is no shot sheet about left kick here, right kick there. I'm just doing, I'm just, you know, cameraman's going crazy because I'm like, hey, move over there, take this shot from over there on a low angle here, boom, 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 boom. Because, again, I'm seeing this in my head, how I want it to play out. So all those fight scenes are just spur of the moment, how I think they work, and then I make sure that they work for the camera angle. That's that's probably the most important thing is making sure the camera angle is going to pick that fight up correctly. Because my actors, a lot of them don't understand the the, the – biomechanics behind staging a fight scene. So they'll say, well, Will, why am I turning like this? This doesn't make sense. And the other problem they have is distance. Everybody thinks that you actually have to come close to somebody to make it look real. In a fight scene, you want to be as far away as possible without showing the distance that you're from because when you swing through somebody, you can punch faster, you can punch with more commitment. If you have to stop your fist because you're, like, really close to somebody, it looks phony. So it's always a, it's a ballet action. It's, it's like a dance move. You've got to get the guys choreographed to move left, right, out of the way, this way, I'm punching through the center line of the camera. So, yeah, all the, all the martial arts, those are things that I I come up with. And now there, there are times I'll, before shooting, I have sort of a general idea of how I want the fight scene to go, but the actual choreography itself takes place on the set just before we actually film it. And that also preserves the, the performer's energy, too, because, I mean, if you run through a fight scene 12 times before you shoot it, you're going to look like shit by the time we film the thing. So, mm. Now, yeah. now um no one got hurt or anything during any of those no. fights. No. no, and uh, and for those, I almost, those... I almost got hurt one time. I, uh, this story, uh, this story still befuddles me. We had a guy. This was a film we shot eight nine years ago. Um, Demons Rising, the same one that I had the nightmare experience with seventy people. And this guy was like, a, he said he was a martial artist, a cook, a massage therapist, a hypnotherapist. He just was jack of all trades. We did a fight scene where he nearly put my eye out using mm. a staff. And I swear to God, I thought I was blind. And I wanted to take this guy and just break him in half. 
And the issue we had was the guy who was financing the film, that was his buddy. So I really couldn't, you know, beat be his ass because we lose the funding and the backing that we had at the time. But that was the one occasion where I really thought that I had really bit the bullet I didn't want to bite. So that was the one time. Um, we make sure everybody's safe. We make sure that the scenes aren't too – I mean, we're not doing Jackie Chan stunts. You know, people aren't jumping down from five-story buildings. We always keep it really based on the ground. Um, and then stuff that's simple for people to do. But for fight scenes, the reaction is the most important thing, how you take a punch, how you take a hit. Mm-hmm. All, all the fancy yeah. gymnastics and the punches, that's fine. But how you look when you're hit, that's what sells the scene. And for those who don't know, uh, um, William is ripped. <laughs> this brother is, yeah, brother's Jack, and uh, you don't you don't want to run up on uh, brother William <laughs> in a dark alley, a lit alley. You don't want to run up on on this brother. So, uh, and uh, well, we were funny. My wife and I were having that conversation the other night because there was these kids in front of this uh, restaurant, and the first thing they wanted, "Hey, Mister, you got two dollars." And I'm from New York, so I don't trust anybody. So I just sort of slowly turned to the kid and I said, "Son." I just don't have, it. and that was the end of the conversation because I guess they sensed it. You know, this was not the time to be bothering me with that. And the one thing about martial arts that's very important for people to understand is if you have someone who takes martial arts to be a really exceptional kicker or a really exceptional puncher, they are they have the wrong mindset for it. My teacher taught me in the traditional Shaolin style. We were he beat the shit out of us for three hours a day, three times a week. And that was our Kung Fu. It wasn't about being the next Bruce Lee. It was about taking a punch, mm. learning how it felt to be hit so that if you were going to fight someone, you would understand the ramifications of what you did. And so he just made sure that we were scared enough of him to understand that you may run into somebody like my teacher one day and think you have the upper hand and you get your ass whipped. So. Kung Fu, to me, is avoiding fights, avoiding conflict, trying to work a, a way around it. I have avoided more fights in my life than I have actually fought. Now, the fights I did have to get into, people were injured, and it wasn't me. <laughs> That's another story. But for the most part, when I've come into situations where people are threatening or whatever, basically, you know, I look at them, I go, well, you know, you don't want to do that. And that's, you know, I don't get into a shouting match, you know, MF for this, and I'm going to F you up. No, no, no. I'm just like, you don't want to do that. And that's Generally, that's enough to discourage right, somebody. Going, uh, what? Yeah. The fighting is yeah. very impressive in the film, as well as. Uh, now, you had a lot of uh, weapons in, in this film. Uh, yes. Talk about. Um, the the weapons and and how that you know how that worked. Did you um, are these like uh, um, they look they were real weapons right in the film? There were right? several yes there were several real there are a lot of replicas that are what you call close to real they're they're modeled off the the real gun mm-hmm. but they're not capable of firing bullets obviously because mm-hmm. we don't want to have any of the shit that went down with John Eric Epson and, and and Brandon Lee right um, so we're super safe with that uh, Doug Whitlatch is my uh, armor. He has a fantastic selection of automatic and regular weapons, and he always provides what we need. And as you saw mm-hmm. in the film, he had a little bit of everything. Oh, yeah. Um, but he, he instructs the kids in the perfect the technical uh, applications, <laughs> how to you know how to follow somebody, how to follow a target, how to do a, a attack, um, surveillance, the whole nine yards. Doug is the man. He was, he was in the armed services as well. So it's important to have that kind of um, expertise to make, as you said, look real. 
And so he, uh, Doug, I couldn't thank enough. He just really made the film. And without him, the film wouldn't happen. I'm just sorry. It just, it just basically, Doug was the linchpin. And he then would, while I was doing my directing thing, basically, I could be confident that the actors are getting the proper instruction on how to handle the gun. Basically, that was the long and short of it. And to me, that's number one. That's something that really, I couldn't have a divided attention about. I'm trying to tell you how to do a line. And, oh, yeah, don't pull the trigger. I, you know, I, you, you got to have somebody over there saying, don't point the gun at yourself. Don't put your finger on the trigger unless you're intending to shoot someone, you know. Right. So Doug, Doug, Doug was a, a true lifesaver. Yeah. And um, the makeup, too. Uh, you know, that's the thing about, especially zombie films, is the yeah. makeup has to be on point or that'll ruin the whole film. Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and I thought absolutely. The, the makeup was yeah. excellent and the blood as well. So, Jason uh, Sherlow, who was my producer, was the head of the makeup department. Harry McCain um, was the main makeup artist. And they would come in early. They would set, and it was freezing cold. I forgot to mention that. We were shooting this in the winter. Mm. And I guess you saw the one scene where I was walking in the snow with right. the rifle and the zombie. It was it was cold. Um, so they would set up a tent with a heater, and we didn't have access to electricity all the time, so we have to plug in wherever we could. And people would come under the tent, they'd get their makeup on, they'd run out into do their shot, and then back into the tent. So it was it was just a bunch of logistics and getting everybody in a position. It all it all somehow it all came together. And as I said, I'm lucky to have a crew of people that I can just pass that ball to because. There were days in my early days of filmmaking where that was all me. I was the production manager, the director, the makeup guy, the guy fighting, the guy shooting when I wasn't on camera. I was checking the audio. It's too much. I mean, I'm, I'm too old. I'm too too old for that anymore. It's like I gotta have people who know what they're doing and I can delegate. So, um, and I think that's why we've had such such success over the past few years. Is now I can concentrate on directing and editing the film and acting. I don't have to also worry about, do we have the guns in today? And where's the lights at? And, you know, is the costumes right? And did you get the makeup? No, I I just have people check in with me. William, it's here. Okay, let's film. So it makes it a lot easier. And the locations were great. You said you shot that in Cincinnati, was it? We shot we shot in uh, northern Kentucky and parts of Cincinnati. Um, but, yeah, we, we had great access uh, to Fort Thomas, Kentucky. That was courtesy of, of Abe Synth and Tiki Bunce. And Tiki, as I said, played the doctor in the film. Mm-hmm. And her significant other, Abe, who is our locations manager. And Abe, he comes up with places like, I'm just, they're just blowing up. As you saw in the film, all this stuff was like given freely by the city of Fort Thomas, Kentucky. They didn't ask us for large amounts of money. They didn't have special permits to sign. We, we had no restrictions. We carried guns out in the open. We did mm-hmm. fight team. We did makeup. We served people food. And it's, it's really, that is, oh, again, yeah. that's probably the part of filmmaking is those locations. Because if you don't have them, your film looks like you shot it in your mom's basement, basically. You know, you, you've got to have different locations. So we basically have the city of Fort Thomas. I mean, the police would come up and ask me, Mr. Lee, everything okay? What do you need? You know, I felt I felt great. It was phenomenal. It was an amazing experience. So um, all thanks to Abe and Tiki and, and the city of uh, Fort Thomas, Kentucky. Just phenomenal. Now, um, okay, so you, you, what is your next film? Uh, what can we, it's Black yes. Mamba Rising, right? Yes. Black mm-hmm. Mamba Rising is basically Kill Bill on steroids. Um, combination mm-hmm. Buffy the Vampire meets cool. Kill Bill. And uh, this nice. young lady lives in an urban neighborhood. She's murdered by corrupt cops and drug gangbangers. She goes to the other side and is sent back to basically dispatch with these people. But also, she's given an additional duty to just become this super heroine who has to fight evil people on earth with a sword. Mm. So, and then the big twist in the film, well, 
I'll tell you a little bit about the big twist is, well, she not only has to deal with earthly people, well, now the devil decides, well, this isn't cool. You're really messing up my show. I'm going to send some of my people to get you. So it starts out as traditional revenge drama. Now she's got to fight supernatural beings as well. So that's, and I, I wrote that, oh, geez, I wrote that script about 15 years ago. And originally I was going to star in it and it was a whole different take. And, you know, over the years things changed. And, mm-hmm. But I thought it was a perfect vehicle. Angela Williams is going to star in it. She starred in Three Knee Deep with me as well. Angela is just, again, a tremendous actress. She just does everything perfectly. Um, she won't agree with me. She gets very nervous on set. Mm. I always tell her, I always tell her, honey, just do your thing. And you can tell when you see, like, if you go back and watch Three Knee Deep, Angela runs the show. That's all there is to it. But you know, she's she's a wonderful person. But she just she gets nervous sometimes. It's, it's normal. But I just tell her, settle down. You're fine. Do it. She's very conscientious and she knows her lines. And that's mm. you know. Are and you, she's in a realm that she wasn't familiar with. I mean, she didn't know she was going to be an action star. She, mm-hmm. she, you know, she had no formal training in martial arts or anything. And then after three knee deep, she started like carrying a gun. So it's, mm. it was, you know, she grew into it. She likes it now, and I, I, I really am. I'm really excited to see what this movie's going to do for her and us as well. Yeah, man. I got to say though, I, I uh, I'm very happy for your success, and uh, I'm, you know, you're living the, the dream, right? To be able to yeah. make films and uh, you know do exactly what you want to do, and work with the people you want to work with, and work at your, you know, I mean, you got to feel good about that, and I'm very happy yeah. for you, man. You're a good dude, and I, a- I can't wait for your next project, man. It's been, it's been. Yeah, um, it was a pleasure meeting you. You're a really you. nice guy. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Yeah, same here. This was really super interesting. <clears throat> Sorry, I didn't have a whole lot to say, but the the dynamic of of what you've been able to accomplish is pretty astounding. It's you know sometimes you, look, you now you look at it and it's like okay I get a call I go shoot a movie great and it's like now it's sort of like not not routine but it's like now I can sort of expect that to happen in the early days that wasn't the case it was like i'm mortgaging my house i'm charging my credit cards i just sold my old car (laughs) my wife is going to divorce me because i've sold everything to make this freaking kung fu movie and (laughs) you know so you know at some point you're like okay when am i going to grow up and really do what i'm supposed to do is you know make a living and do whatever i do well luckily for me i was able to make the films have a career outside of films in logistics that also lay the groundwork for paying the bills, basically. Because as I tell people that I mentor all the time, don't ever, ever, ever try to believe that you're just going to make your living doing film. Some people can do it. It happens. But for people who are just actors, forget it. You can't. I know Hollywood people who, if I mention their names, you'd say, wait a minute, they work a regular job? Yes, they work a regular job because one or two movies a year, do you think that's really going to pay all your, all your bills as an actor? Mm. I mean, if, a, if you're a producer like me, sure, you can make enough money to, to make ends meet. If you're an actor and you're working twice a year, you're doing two or three scenes and you're getting the, the two checks, I mean, no. Nah, you've you mm. got to have another gig. And that if that is in the world of film, behind the camera, that's fine. Writing, helping people do casting, locations, whatever. Find something else to make it up. Because I, I know a lot of people who really get discouraged when they're not acting every week. I keep telling them that's a dream. Unless you're Tom Cruise, it is not going to happen for you. Don't don't get into this business thinking you're just going to be okay. I'm an actor now. I can quit my job. <laughs> you know, right. no. If you want to pay your rent next week, you keep that job. Right. Just make sure it's a job that you enjoy doing. So, 
Keep your day job. Yeah. Keep your day job. Keep your day job and do your movies. That's what you should do. That's right. Mm -hmm. Well, Mm -hmm. once again, thank you so much. And if I want to get a copy or get a chance to see uh, uh, Six Feet Below Hell, how can I do that? Still at Redbox. Uh, Been there eight months. I have not been informed that it's going to leave anytime soon, which is really cool for me. Uh, Redbox is all over the country. You just got to go in, put the movie title in, and do a, a search by zip code. It won't always come up in your zip code because it was in wide release the first two or three months. Obviously, now it's, it's shrunk, but it's still out there. You can find it. You just got to put the movie title in and, and hit the search button, and it'll start taking you to locations where you can get it. I'm going to show and you. We, I'm going to show you. I went. I live in West LA. I drove to uh, Culver City to pick it up. So, yeah. So yeah. I went. I went to a, a Ralph's. Didn't even know my mm-hmm. niece. My niece worked is, at the Rouse. I, I bumped into the, my uh, niece at the Rouse. This is the director's cut. If you want to just buy one, it's on eBay. Just Google Six Feet Below Hell, Hell uh, Zombies, and it'll come up, and you can purchase it on eBay as well. And that's my director's copy. It's awesome. extended version. We got scenes that were cut out simply because of time restrictions. As I said, I can't seem to make a movie less than two hours long, and it really pisses a lot of Hollywood people off because they want to put commercials in, you know, so yeah. it's the balancing act, but but I, I I retain that artistic license. I'll I'll sell out on some other stuff, but as far as length, I make long movies. Sorry. Hey, <laughs> hey, man, we can sit and watch Lord of the Rings, right? So. There you go. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you so much, and uh, um, you know, good luck to all your endeavors. Thank you very much. All Appreciate right. it. Peace. Okay, so before we uh, before we say goodbye on on this show. Um, I wanted to just go over uh, some films that are coming out in 2018 and just kind of get your uh, uh, opinion about it. Uh, We're going to do this real briefly and then, you know, we'll go into more detail on another show about more of the films. But the first film I want to talk about, this is a film that I'm very, you know, can't wait to see. I'm excited. Uh, Black Panther. And, uh, um, what do you guys, what's your take on what you've seen so far as far as the uh, promotions and, and are you guys excited to see it? Hey Jen, go ahead. Oh, I am. I, this is, this, I've been waiting for this one for a long time. <clears throat> I think they set, uh, they set, they set up the whole premise really well. And if it's anything like what we already know, Marvel's sort of does with source material and then adapting it i think it's going to be great yeah agreed and you know you got kugler behind the wheel and you know a, a lot of pretty good talent it definitely does have a different feel but we all know that everything that marvel does is pretty cohesive so there's going to be some important things that are going to be happening because essentially um what i think uh you know infinity war is what in may mm-hmm. i think so of course that this is going to set it up is probably i you know i'm actually more curious to see is there going to be anything um with captain marvel in it i'm wondering are we going to see captain marvel like maybe in the you know the scenes the after credit scenes or something like that because captain marvel is going to have to be involved with, with thanos <laughs> you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. i just yep. don't think you know the crew that they've got now just really isn't enough so um you know i saw some production photos that had i think uh, that was showing uh brie larson in, in the costume or, or one of the outfits 
And uh, it seems to be kind of a throwback to the old um, Captain Marvel. So we'll see. So I'm definitely excited. I want to see why Wakanda is so important. I actually think an Infinity Stone, I think the Soul Stone is probably going to be um, in, in Wakanda. So I, I'm really excited. Uh, you know, they're really hyping this film up. The one thing I will say is I don't really trust, uh, I don't really trust China, though. I, I don't think it's going to do that good, China. I don't think so either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, <clears throat> that's a good point. <laughs> that's a really good. I gotta point. say though, Ryan Coogler, uh, Fruitvale Station, and Creed. I mean, that guy is really a, a really good filmmaker, and um, I'm really looking forward to uh, uh, seeing more of his work. You know, um, yeah. and then you know, then the cast. You know, uh, what's his name? Daniel Kalua. How you say his last name? From Get Out. Uh, he's in it, of course. Chadwick Boseman, uh, Michael B. Oh, yeah. Jordan. My girl, Lapita Nyanga, Danai Guerrero. I mean, you know, Forrest Whitaker, Alfred, uh, not Alfred Whitaker, but, uh, uh, oh my God, Angela Bassett. Uh, just a fantastic film. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, fa- uh, finan- I mean, a fantastic cast, I should say. I haven't seen the film yet. Um, so I'm just looking forward to, uh, this film. And then it's, you know, from the clips on Infinity War, you know, it just seems like it's an extension of whatever we're going to see, as you were saying, in um, Black Panther. So looking forward yeah. to that. You know, what's funny about Infinity War uh, War is you see, it seems like everybody has either their makeup off or their helmet or whatever. You know, it's like I think a lot of the actors are like tired of, you know, of that. So they're like any opportunity I can less have to get made up for this, you know, <laughs> they're going to take advantage of. So like you see Captain America, he's not, he's, you know, he's not wearing his helmet. You see vision is like not as well. And, you know, so, um, uh, that's really interesting, but, um, there's something too, I want to talk about, and we got to talk about this on a greater level on another show. And this is kind of changing the subject, but it's still on the subject. Disney, this is kind of scary to me too, though. Disney recently bought the the Fox uh, catalog, and um, so yep. which I believe uh, the X Men right were a part of Fox, right? Yeah. So yeah, like that, and they're you know, uh, you know um, off of that thing like the Fantastic Four, which oh my gosh, I I really uh, do want them to get their hands on it. But I, but to what you were saying, Kente, I think that they said that um, they. They own or whatever. What is it? Forty percent. Oh, okay. After that acquisition, so it's, it's that that's still humongous. You, you know what I mean? It's but, big. But you know, <clears throat> there, it's only a matter of time before they. You know, it's like a simulator die. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you know, it actually. It, I I know. I I mean, I think I know why people might be uh, a, a bit skeptical about it. But you know, when you think a little bit clearer into it they disney could bring some pretty amazing assets to bear for all the franchises that they are now assimilating um and you know i i don't know i mean i i i'm cautiously skeptically optimistic Mm. Yeah, I, you know, it's going to be interesting to to see how that works. But, I mean, I would love to see X-Men and the Fantastic Four now being integrated into all of this, you know. Um, but then it scares me because I don't like to see one, you know, uh, studio 
have everything, you know? And it's like, it, and then also, it's less people to negotiate with. You know what I mean? It's like you could, yeah. before you could play the one off the other. Now they're, all, you know, it's almost all one conglomerate, you know? They, you know, they have so much. They have, they have you but, know, Marvel. They have Fox, the Fox catalog. They have uh, ABC, ESPN. Uh, you know, I mean, Disney just seems like everything. But but it is that very power. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that very power. It is that very uh, mega structure, mm-hmm. which also then allows them to negotiate with overseas markets. And I mean, China only imports a certain number of American uh, U.S. films every year, and so they have to get really hard on negotiations. And Disney has the resources to be able to make those. Um, they can make those negotiations differently than a company that doesn't have the full Disney presence. So, I I mean, there, there's there are upsides and there are downsides, but overall, you know, the, I think the wave of the future is we're going to see more and more of this. Um, but I also think, you know, at the same time, don't get too, don't get too, uh, I, 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 I sort of think that maybe coming down the pike in maybe the next 10 years or so, we're going to start seeing the rise again of independent film companies, which will eclipse some of the other stuff that's happening. I mean, we already see it in some ways. It's just got to take hold. It's slower to sort of uh, get in step. Hmm. That, that's my prediction. Okay. All right. So a couple of films uh, I want to get to, and then we'll say goodbye. Uh, Ready Player One. That's the film. I don't know if you guys seen the promos for it uh, that uh, Steven Spielberg has done. Uh, it's kind of like his avatar in a way. <laughs> uh, you mm-hmm. know. Um, uh, so what do you guys think? Have you guys seen the promos for that? And what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I did. Uh, you know, I, I don't really, I don't really know what to say it it seems to have a lot of beats and a lot of you know easter eggs in it for you know people in our age group so i'm pretty sure that we'll enjoy it i mean one of the one of the promos i think it starts off i think there was a delorean or something right Mm -hmm. uh you know so there's definitely going to be things that we can identify with and it'll be fun for us i'm just wondering what are they going to do to definitely make it appealing to you know a, a lot younger um, demographic. So hey, you, you know what I I'll probably give it a chance. You, you know what I'm saying? But um, because it's all it's it's based off of uh, Klein's book, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What's his name? Uh, uh, I know you're talking about. Let me. Uh, uh, I can't I can't remember the author uh, you know of that book, but uh, they're really pushing it though. Um, if you go to any bookstore, uh, you know, Barnes and Nobles, uh, they're really pushing that book. And uh, you're, talking seems... Ernest, you're talking about Ernest Klein, right? Yeah, yeah Ernest, Ernest Klein. Klein. Yeah, Ernest Klein. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know what? We, we'll see. We'll wonder if it'll, you know, kind of drive up, uh, you know, uh, book sales. Because a lot of people who've read the book say that it's great. So uh, we'll see what they can do. I kind of like that I haven't read the book and I can just go into it and just lunch out and watch it. Mm. Um, Go ahead. Just just to give you um, just something tiny about it. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, This is this is kind of a a Steven Spielberg. um, Like this is the uh, how can I describe this? You know how authors always have that one novel that they've been working on their entire life, and it's sort of 
intrudes into everything else they do and but they never actually get around to writing it but it's always sort of half formed that's what this is to steven spielberg he has been trying to sort of do this really over the course of his entire career and it kind of all culminated with this and at this point in steven spielberg's career in whatever you want to call it his legacy i get the feeling that one he wouldn't put less than 100 percent in it but two this is just sort of his dream baby so it doesn't matter (laughs) whether it's like everybody's gonna like it or not he just wants to get it out there that's uh, all the interviews that i've seen from him on this all sound like this is his passion project Mm. well that's what's up then yeah ups my excitement all right, so uh, this next one is uh, actually uh, Steven Spielberg started this franchise, Jurassic World. And I'll be honest with you, I wasn't, I'm sorry, Jurassic World 2. Uh, I forgot, Fallen something crap. Uh, I didn't really care for Jurassic World. I mean, it wasn't terrible, but it was, you know, pointless. But I mean, it made, what, a billion dollars, so I guess it wasn't pointless. <laughs> and of course. <laughs> They're making a sequel. And you know what I was thinking? Okay, all right, maybe they're going to really go for it in this sequel, right? Because the way it left off, you know, I'm thinking they're going to really go for something different and really, you know, take the Jurassic Park uh, slash World series in a new direction that's really interesting. No, it looks like it's just a rehash of what we've seen before. You know, it, you know, it looks like Lost World. You know, uh, part two or something like that. I was really disappointed. I, I mean, I was hoping that at least they would try something a little different and, you know, new. And it looks like it's just going to be the same crap. So with that said, uh, what do you guys think? <laughs> well, isn't the plot that they're trying to get the dinosaurs off the island? Uh, something right? like that. Yeah. It's- I mean, yeah, I just <laughs> I mean, that's only natural. You know, you bust your behind, <laughs> creating them on the island and doing all this stuff, and naturally you've got to get them all off somehow. So I, I don't, I you know, I, I don't know, man. I mean, for me, I would like a, a like a B movie version of just those raptors as like a military troop going to Afghanistan or something fighting more so than watching them trying to get dinosaurs off the island. The raptors were probably the most interesting thing from the first one to me. Right. So, uh, what's it, a blue. Yeah, that one in particular, which yeah. is, I think, is in this movie as well. But yeah, I'm not really that, I mean, I'll, I'll probably watch it, but I'm really not that interested in seeing this one. I just, I really feel like this one is probably going to be uh, horrible. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it seems pointless. But you know what's funny, though, is if you had a loved one that went to Jurassic World and was eaten or whatever, I mean, obviously, you don't want your family member to die. But I don't know if I would be that in much mourning, because if you're that dumb to go to a place where people already got eaten up at, you know, it's kind of, you know, you're kind of stupid. <laughs> you know, like I, I can't see how somebody would go to that place being that what three other times people, you know, got eaten. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I think that's the universe telling you don't go. So, uh, 
that's what's so crazy to me about you know the whole Jurassic thing. But you know they got to get them back. You know it's like it's like uh, Jaws, right? We got to get them back into the, the the water again so the madness can begin. So, but um, yeah, uh, I, I'm gonna say thumbs down on Jurassic World. I'll watch it like on video, or I got a movie pass, and at some point we're gonna talk about movie pass on the show. But uh, you know, I, maybe I'll see it with the movie pass if uh, if we're there's nothing else to do. But uh, I'm definitely not going to pay to go see it any extra. Okay, so so what movie in 2018 are you looking the most forward to seeing? Oh, Black Panther for sure. It's Black Panther. Yeah, Black Panther um, is the one that I want to see the most. Uh, Aquaman that comes out this year that that might be interesting. Uh, even though you know it's you know you're not supposed to be excited to see a DC movie that's like against the rules. So, <laughs> so yeah, don't, don't tell anybody. I'm breaking I'm, the breaking the rule. But yeah, uh, you're breaking the norm. I'm not. I'm not looking forward to that. Probably my my top movie is Black Panther as well, mm-hmm. and then I would have to say um, Infinity War. It seems like this is the year of uh, superheroes. Mm-hmm. I am. Oh, Sicario too. Oh yeah, Deadpool. I'm Deadpool not excited. I'm out. not excited for. Um, solo at all like I, i'm just no i'm not either yeah i'm beyond that my boy donald glover's in it but <laughs> I, I, not even he can uh probably save this oh, but sicario we'll too that th- that might be good i love sicario the first sicario uh great freaking movie man uh, i can't say his last name denis villain wave or whatever his name is the french canadian <laughs> guy that guy's yeah. on fire man i haven't seen blade runner yet uh, but I hear it's really good. Um, but he did Prisoners, he did Sicario, he did Arrival. The guy's the guy's a really good filmmaker. And, hey, uh, yeah. There's a there's a goofy. I don't want to say that it's goofy, but it's kind of a it's a horror movie. It's called Truth or Dare. It's got a bunch of teenagers in it or whatever. I saw that. Yeah, and uh, you know what? I that that's going to be one of those turn your brain off movies that I'm kind of curious about. I saw the trailer for it. Uh, I thought that it was kind of interesting. Uh, well, what'd you think about it, Jen? Did you think that it was like, it, it seems like it'll be fun. Yeah, it does. <clears throat> I think it's it's what they tried to do with, uh, with Would You Rather, but they took Would You Rather so seriously and it was so horribly done, right? This one definitely looks like it's got a little bit more uh, good stuff to it, meat to it, if you will. I didn't know there was, I a, like new, I didn't know there was a new X-Men coming out this year. Yeah. Uh, the last one was garbage. The one, the 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 movie that I want to see the most this year, and it is just a totally uh, brain candy for me. It's nothing, you know. I don't find anything huge in substance or anything in it, but it's just one of those things that uh, put me on a weird path because I love my mecha robots. Is Pacific Rim Uprising? Oh yeah. <clears throat> and and I, I know that. First of all. I know it's going to be quite different from Pacific Rim, but, you know, just the little bits of the trailers that I saw, it just looks so much fun. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's one of those, uh, you know, turn your brain off. Like, look, I just want to see Jaegers and Kaijus fight. I already know, hey, we've got to stop them. (laughs) They're going to destroy the city. Just show me the cool-ass way that you're going to stop them. Because I I don't really, you know what I mean? Um, It just seems like it's going to be real fun. I don't expect some deep story. And uh, it seems like, uh, just like everything else, 
you've got to kind of one up yourself. So it seems like the Jaegers that they have, you know, do you all know, are a lot more nimble and the monsters are even bigger. So it's going to be fun. And um, I agree with you, Jen. That was a good one to point out. Um, I had for a split second, I had forgot about it. But, yeah, I'm excited. Isn't that next month? It might be. Uh, <clears throat> or maybe it's in off. is it in December? Can no, they, March know? March twenty third. Oh, March twenty third. Yeah, I think they. Oh I my think, gosh! I think the reason that you think it was later is because I think it did have a later release date. Yeah. Um. But then I I can't remember why he said so. Stephen tonight said something on Twitter about it. Okay, so wow, Black Panther in February, so you're going to have Pacific Rim and Solo uh, in March. And you know what? Another reason, um, and I'm kind of curious what both of you have to say about this. Another reason why I think the Han Solo is going to be a disaster is this movie's coming out in like 60 days and we haven't seen anything from the movie. Yeah. You know what I mean? That That's just, that that worries me. So I'm hoping that when Black Panther... Uh, I hope that there's something on like I hope the trailer is like you know before Black Panther or something but I don't know that kind of worries me when you're not kind of <laughs> you know what I mean that it's very odd to be so close and have, you know have seen nothing and I know they did a lot of reshoots and you know this that and the other but the girls in yeah. it yeah Emilia Clark Emilia Clark how you say her name from uh, it's, it's Amelia, Amelia. Amelia Clark from yeah. Game of Thrones yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, in the category of why, why are they doing this in 2018? Why are they making another Predator movie? Why? Could people eat that shit up like candy? There's people that are excited. Every time there's a new Predator movie, I know people that are literally like, oh man, they're making another Predator. I'm like, really? I like, I, like, I haven't, I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen another Predator after, uh, the second one, the one they were in, like, New York or whatever they were at, or Compton, or I don't remember where they were at. The one with Danny Glover, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, God. Like, yeah, like, that's the second one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, like, that is I'm, the second one. But uh, I saw a movie about a week ago, and it's called Den of Thieves. And Den of Thieves, I don't know if you know this film, it, it stars uh, the wonderful actor um, Gerard Butler, uh, I, I don't think he's that good of an actor, but um, Gerard Butler, and it had 50 Cent in it, and it had the great um, Pablo Shriver. He, he's amazing in the film, and he's a really good actor. Um, and O'Shea Jackson, and one of my anyone who knows me that one of my favorite films of all time is Heat. I love the movie Heat. It's like one of it's a you know I watch it at least once a year, right? Den of Thieves is almost exactly a rip. It's like a ripoff of the movie Heat. In like, I don't know. You guys seen Heat, right? Yeah, that's the best bank robbery scene of all times. The yeah, movie literally opens up with them robbing an armored car in literally oh, the God. same fashion as the movie Heat, right? Where they use the you know the bomb to blow up the back and. Oh, somebody! Oh, I think a guy went for his gun. Like I thought it was a remake. When I watched the movie, I'm like, "Oh, this is an exact remake, right?" Oh, wow! And um, so, but it's not a remake, right? I ain't gonna lie. Even though it's a straight thievery of the movie, actually, 
low-key enjoyed the movie. <laughs> like, I actually had a good time with it. It was stupid, and it was a, th- a theft, but it was actually shot well. It was well. <clears throat> the acting was good. Uh, Pablo Schreiber is really good in the film, as he always is. And I think maybe because I used my movie pass, so I didn't pay for it, that makes it a lot easier. It's like it's kind of like... um What's that pizza that's for five dollars? Uh, Little Caesars. Little Caesars. Like you don't get mad at Little Caesars because you're only spending like five dollars. So it's like you know what I mean. Like if Little Caesars mm-hmm. cost like five fifty, you would be like, man, fuck this pizza, you know. But you know, it's like the exact right price, you know what I mean. So you're like, ah, whatever, you know. It's not great. It's not good, but it's only five dollars. This was free, so maybe that's what factors in that. But I actually had a good time with it, so. Um, but I wouldn't say it's, uh, gone with the wind or anything like that. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, if you can see it for free, I would suggest, uh, if you have nothing better to do, you know, go ahead and do it, but, uh, don't expect, you know, gone with the wind, but it's definitely an inferior to heat. One of my favorite films of all time, but, uh, I definitely enjoy it. Dark Knight was, a was, a, an homage to heat. A lot of people didn't know that. So. Um, you know, if you really watch, if you go back and watch The Dark Knight, it's heat. You know, yeah, you know, I can kind of see that. And um, I actually I had the pleasure last year to go to a screening of Heat. Uh, actually, it was a longer cut of it. Believe it or not, right? The movie's already three hours, right? And um, so uh, Michael Mann was there, and so was Christopher Nolan. And Christopher Nolan is like fanboying, you know. Uh, Michael Mann, and he's talking to him about, uh, you know, um, you know, every, you know, like things that you would want to ask Michael Mann about this great film. And it was so good. And he, you know, which I always knew when I first saw The Dark Knight, that it was a a homage to Heat. And he, you know, of course, he said, you know, that's, you know, that's what he did. So and if you even think about it, the scene where Batman and the Joker confront each other, it's the coffee shop scene from Heat, essentially. So, uh, but I thought that was good though. It worked though. He made it work, Christopher Nolan. But anyway, so, uh, I saw that. I saw the commuter as well. Um, you know, um, the commuter, uh, you know, it was okay. You know, uh, we, but we've seen that film from Liam Neeson, you know? <laughs> so we've seen that Liam Neeson film. So, uh, um, but those are the movies that I've seen this year. I know I'm leaving something did you, out. Did you see Shape of Water? I haven't seen that, but I'll be honest with you. I never wanted to see it because isn't it about some chick banging a fish guy? Oh man, that is just breaking it down to craziness. But yeah, basically, I mean, like, yes, that's I mean, like, okay, there's a couple of movies. There's that, so much more to it though. Like, it's like that I mean, movie. Um, what's that movie? Uh, that they were all going nuts for uh, about the uh, the guy. He's like in love with a kid um in france, in italy or some shit oh my god it's like a gay movie um that everybody's talking about um with army hammer recent? with army hammer in it right um oh god i think it's up for academy award um it's called uh call me by your name right oh call me by your name okay and um it was funny because our I, you know I, I do uber right and i had um i had uh this woman in my car and she was saying uh 
she kept talking about her husband was an actor. I said, who's your husband? I mean, what what had he been in? And she was like, uh, he's been in the Lone Ranger, the social network. He called me by your name. And I was like, I was like, what's his name? And she said, Army Hammer. And I said, your your husband wasn't in the Lone Ranger. He was the Lone Ranger, <laughs> you know, in the movie. Like, what are you talking about? And then I, I said, wait a minute. Call me by your name. Isn't that the movie about the, the grown man screwing the, the, the boy in the movie? And she was like, no, not at all. And then I looked it up, and that's what the movie's about. And everybody's talking about how awesome the movie is and all of that. I'm like, that's gross. So, so, mm-hmm. so I, I feel like I have to sort of defend this just a teeny mm-hmm. tiny bit, right? Okay. The, the 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 shape of water at its core mm-hmm. is like all good monster movies about what makes you human and what separates you from the animals mm-hmm. and Guillermo has this sort of uh, over the top fascination with the with monsters that is it, it's very poignant when it comes out in the right way he doesn't always he hasn't always gotten it right but this one he does get it right. It it there is something the monsters are on the outside not on the inside. But the but put all of that aside, okay? The and I know most people don't go to the movies for this, but the technical craft that was put into the shape of water mm-hmm. is some of the best that I have seen in a really long time. Everything from pretty much just excellence in editing. I can't think of... Well, I can think of one scene that was a little bit long that I feel like they could have chopped out, but almost everything was just quick time. It it did not feel like you were sitting in the theater for as long as we were sitting in the theater. That's one. Two, the cinematography. I don't even know how they did some of this stuff. It was just so amazing. And then three, the script is so compelling that if you were to just read it off the paper without any visual context, you'd fall in love with it. Mm. It has this just beautiful cadence to it all the way throughout that makes it really... And what's ironic about that is the the lead woman is mute. And so they have to jump through a lot of hoops in order to make things be present that need to be present with her being mute she can't explain anything there's there's just some really awesome dynamic stuff happening in this film and yes that is one part of it but the but i think you have to look past the woman falls in love with monster to realize that what she she says in the middle of the film which i don't think it's a spoiler but she says in the middle of the film that that if they don't help this creature, that they are just like the monsters they're basically saying that he is, or that it is, whatever. <clears throat> and th- and that, to me, is sort of the crux of the whole thing. The crux of the whole thing is humanity is not something that you gauge by just being human. It's a set of actions, it's a set of emotions, it's a set of things that you put into play. So that's why I recommend it. Also, the other thing is it's up for 13 Academy Awards. That's not by accident. So would you judge me if I if my girlfriend was a fish chick? Would I judge you? Yes, very harshly. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. You, you could tell me the story of humanity about it, and I might like it. I'd be like, no, she's really cool. Yeah, I mean, she has scales, and 
fins, but you know, I love her. I'm judging already. (laughs) (laughs) No, I mean, look, he's a great filmmaker, and if there's one person that could pull that off, it would be definitely be him. But you know, I, you know, it it definitely was something. I'm like, I would have to really, you know, uh, you know. I don't know, man. I, I, it's something that I have to. I guess I have to maybe drink or something first before I, you know, watch that. <laughs> you know, like uh, I don't know. Maybe if I get lit, I could just be like, "All right, let me put on the fish movie." <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I hear you, though. I hear you, though. I'm sure it's beautiful, and I'm gonna want me to go out and get a fish girl after see that movie. It's a- it's one of those it's it is it is one of those movies very few movies strike me as this but it is one of those movies that the way that it is shot it's the, it's the sequel to splash basically that you go and see it <laughs> it's on the, the splash screen. it's the splash it's, sequel well, yeah it's the splash <laughs> sequel oh my god you know what i'm going to i'm going to tell Guillermo you said that <laughs> you know what i would tell him i would definitely tell him that i i've done that before by the way to people like i've I've said, uh, you know, uh, and it's funny. They like it when you keep it real, you know, <laughs> like you, you like, they like it when you keep it real. Like I told, uh, this goes way back, but the guy who wrote, uh, Anaconda right after the screening, I ran into the screenwriter. He was like at the theater and he asked me straight up what I thought of. It, and I said, it was a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and he laughed too. I said the only redeeming thing about this film is the brother doesn't die at the end. And he said he he was on the floor laughing. He said uh, about Ice Cube, you know, a spoiler alert, my bad. And he said initially in his original script he did die, but the the test audience oh, no made them reshoot it. So so I'm like he didn't even get that shit right. <laughs> yeah, and 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 I'll I'll tell you he's laughing right now because that movie is a cult classic. It is. People it love, is. People love that movie. It is. He said it was a piece of shit. So he said, you know, he straight up said sometimes you do what you got to do so that you can do what you really want to do. So I said, yeah, yeah. there was one real cool shot of that anaconda. I think when it came down and snatched that guy up, that that was a pretty cool shot. But that was about it. Yeah, I, can you believe I saw that motherfucker in the theater? Oh God, man, I was on some bullshit. You know what though? I don't, uh, I don't like to go. Like back in the day, I would see everything. Right now, it's like. Let me see what this bullshit is. You know, like, I, even if it's for free, sometimes I'll get, like, free, you know, movie passes and stuff, right? And now I get the movie pass. But, I mean, I get the, you know, screenings, right? And what was that one? Ben-Hur? Oh, yeah. And you Ben-Hur. They, they had, you know, literally, it's the where it was at, I could literally walk to, right? And I must have got four different passes to the same theater, and I just said, I can't do it. I can't sit through that. I, you know, like. Oh, man. I didn't know. Not even for free. Not not even for free. I, I didn't want to see it. So See, I'm exactly the opposite. I will, I will sit and watch cinema for the sake of sitting and watching cinema. Here's because there is something complicated and beautiful about watching whatever dance you want to put in front of me. Sometimes you it's You are a, a sweetheart. But. 
it's a it is so complicated to put this stuff together that I am so willing to go and sit and watch. Certain Drek I can't do. I can't do. Like like back in the day I used to be just like you. I see everything. I saw everything. Dante's Peak, Volcano. Oh, uh you you name the bad movie. I saw it. I can't do it no more. You know, like it has to catch me by surprise and be bad. You know what I mean? Like it's hard for me to see like you know, certain things. Sometimes I've been surprised. Presently surprised, you know, where it wasn't so bad, you know? Or I kind of liked it. Like, the movie Mars Attacks. That's like my little guilty pleasure. It's a bad movie, but I enjoy it, right? Um, but, uh, yeah, like, that's few far in between. It's like, now, I can't even watch stuff now on Netflix, you know, that's bad. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that I think it's going to be bad that I don't want to see. Like, it's like, ah, nah, I'm good. I'd rather watch the inside of my eyelids. So, <laughs> all right. So that concludes the show. Thank you so much, uh, Jen, and of course Yardley. We're gonna be every week, you know, talking about different um, movies, TV shows, and and different topics. Uh, we are uh, definitely gonna be expanding what we do. Uh, hopefully, at some point this year, we'll be going back and. Uh, um, talking about black sales, we I want to do a black spell sales black spells black sales retrospective show as well um, as far and um, Hell on Wheels. I don't know if you watch Hell on Wheels, uh, Jen. Did you watch Hell on Wheels? Oh my god, yeah. Oh, uh, okay. I would say I watched Hell on Wheels like a number of times, even since Hell on Wheels has been over. Hey, yes. hey, Yardley, have you ever noticed this? When you run into someone who watched Hell on Wheels, right? And then when they find out that you watched it too, it's almost like you're in a club, like a, like you're in like some kind of Illuminati. It's like you saw it too. Oh my! And then they want to just talk to you. And then when they find out you did a podcast, and yeah. then it's like, oh man, like they really want to talk to you because like none of their friends really watched it, mm-hmm. or so it's like, like I'm at a point now where sometimes I don't want to say it because then it becomes like this whole thing. Like I don't even tell people like. I used to do a uh, we we used to do a, a Walking Dead podcast because then it's like then they want to talk to you about the governor and the you know and uh, what do you think is going to happen in Woodsbury or whatever the hell they're at so but Hell on Wheels I will gladly talk to anybody about because that was our show and I that was a fantastic show and we had such a great time doing that and uh, um, but I want to do a retrospective on that and maybe. Uh, maybe we can get some of the cast people to come and talk about that, as well as um, um, uh, American Gods, too. I want to go back over because now some time has gone on and we can unpack it in a different way. And, uh, you know, I, I actually I'm thinking about doing a rewatch of American Gods. It's short enough so that, you know, it's not like you're watching like a 13 to 20 something, you know, episode. I think I can rewatch it and get another perspective on it now that, you know, some time has passed since we've seen it. But um, and I want to talk about the news that came out um, as well. So we're going to have to do, a, you know, those three shows. And then we're going to talk about some other shows that are on. Uh, we can talk about on this show um, um, some other shows that are on. I, I know you were talking about something called The Terror. Has that started up yet? No, it hasn't started up, but two of the main characters, uh, and right now I don't have, uh, I had some notes up, 
uh, earlier. I don't have them in front of me, but two of the main characters of the HMS. Well, one is of the HMS Terror. Um, is the guy who played uh, Edmure Tully uh, in Game of Thrones, and oh. also the guy who played uh, Mance Raider is uh, is someone else who's in the show. But I looked at the trailer. I thought that it was. I thought that it was. Uh, it was great. It seems like it's going to be another show on AMC that's that's going to be better than The Walking Dead but not get the ratings that's definitely a show I, I want us to uh, to cast on because it looks like it's going to be uh, you know a sleeper well, uh, we're all down right uh, you're down Jen I, I totally am I, you- I really like that source material that source material was great and yeah, you know what? I probably should dust off that <clears throat> book I showed you guys. There's so much dust on it. Like I, I've had it and I've looked at it, and you know, I was like, "Oh man, the artwork is cool," <laughs> but I just on the cover. But I've just never dove into it. So maybe this will be the type of show that's so good that might make me say, "Okay, I'm gonna put the book off a little bit longer." But there's another part of me that feels like. Maybe I should read the book before uh, the show premieres. So, you know, if I were to give you some advice, right, I would definitely say dust the book off and give it a good read because um, I know you probably know this, but because the narrative is sort of all over the place, it I I have a, a feeling that what's going to make this so good is that mm-hmm. it is not done with conventional storytelling. So my guess is that the writers will pick that and go with that. I hope that they do because that's what made the book so awesome. It was okay. not told in sort of a, a a normal chronological narrative. It was sort of told from all different points of view and all different uh, chronological timelines and stuff. So it, it turns out to be uh, interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. All right, challenge accepted. And you know what? And, uh, out of love, out of love for Jen, I'm gonna watch the fish movie. Yeah, I'm gonna get right. wasted and watch it. Peer pressure. Yeah, I'm gonna watch it. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna do a segment on the fish movie. Or you, you know what? I am. You got me hooked. All right. I don't know when though, but uh, now nah, nah, you know what? I think I, it's still in the theaters, right? I, I oh yeah oh and you know I I just. I have a sense that because mm-hmm. of the Oscar hype, it is going to end up being around for even longer than uh, it maybe originally would have been. And I also have a feeling that this is definitely going that the, it, they'll get a lot. They'll definitely get a lot, which will only make the movie more popular. Okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. But if I, you if, have my heart. And but I'll tell you though, if I'm grossed out. You know, and I, uh, I'm gonna eat. I'm gonna have like a big thing of nachos and all of that stuff. And uh, if somehow I'm grossed out and it, I don't want to eat my nachos, I'm sending you a bill. I I was just gonna say, you know, if you don't like it, then the next time that you come to Hawaii, I will owe you a trip around the island. How's oh, that? okay. I love it. I love that. That's okay. great. <laughs> and right. I promise we'll leave the fish out of it. All right. <laughs> That's great. All right. That concludes the show. And uh, we will see you next week. Peace.